I'm driving around downtown Asheville again. I've been doing this pretty regularly since the lockdown started, and I have to say, I was really impressed with how much the people of Asheville obeyed the guidelines, shuttered their businesses, stayed home, and put their own financial well-being at risk for the well-being of their neighbors. So it was strange this week to drive through town and see lines of people outside of restaurants and breweries. A photo went somewhat viral of a line of people outside of Wicked Weed. The patio of Mellow Mushroom was as packed as their busiest days. Every curbside parking space was full, mostly with license plates from all over the southeast. Just days after Governor Roy Cooper announced North Carolina would be moving into the second phase of reopening, the state worsened in two of the three metrics the governor had touted as our reason for the progress. First, the number of hospitalized coronavirus patients nearly doubled, and then positive tests spiked to over 10%, signaling signs of a sharply increased community spread. With an incubation period of 14 days, it is insanely difficult for any state to stay on top of things. But in a tourist town like Asheville, where people trek in from every corner of the country, it is even harder to track or trace any sort of outbreak. And over the weekend, the death count in Buncombe County more than doubled, just as Mission Hospital reported a, quote, small number of hospital staff were infected with COVID-19, refusing to cite a specific number. From WPVMLP in Asheville, this is Tinderbox, a special broadcast of the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour. I'm Jonathan Ammons. Our show has always been for, about, and by the people in our service industry. The people who write our stories, the ones who illustrate them, the people who read them, have nearly all worked in some capacity in the culinary world. And we've been hearing a lot lately about the plight of the small business owner. We've even covered it a lot on Home Fried, our podcast covering how communities around the world are responding to this pandemic. But today, we decided to point our microphones somewhere different. Today, we're going to talk to the workers, the waiters, the bartenders, the cashiers, and the cooks that make these restaurants move. A couple days after I made that drive through town, I saw the lines outside of restaurants and breweries, and I got to wondering how the people serving those guests felt. So I posted in a local service industry forum, and as expected, I got a lot of feedback. I'm actually, like, I think one of the luckier people... (laughs) Some, some people, it seems, had to or had to go back to work this past weekend. Um, and my, I, I talked to my work and they're actually, they listen to like my concerns. Like, I mean, I personally don't feel comfortable with the whole thing, but if I have to go back to work, I'm gonna have to go back to work. Um, you know, and I, I just, I also don't like how it's kind of a weird forced decision, like, you, you can't just make the decision. Like you, you'd have to get a medical reason to not go, which is also possible, but I, you know, I don't know. It, it just feels weird being stuck, not having an actual choice. You know what I mean? That's Pete. He works at a long-standing and popular restaurant in town. We're not gonna use any employees' last names or the names of where they work in this story since their jobs are already on the line in a lot of ways these days. But suffice it to say, Pete likes where he works, likes his bosses, and likes his clientele, which are mostly locals. He likes his job a lot, but he says that he's just not ready to go back to work, and for good reason. Oh, I've had friends that are totally sick. A lot, most, a good amount of my friends and families are, is in New York. So they've been seeing it firsthand. And I've had, I've known people that are 
that have been sick with it and it's not a it's not a fun pleasant thing um i personally i mean i have health concerns i have health issues i don't have i don't have like 100 best health I, I you know i had kidney failure I have, I have, I have health issues also. So I'm like, yeah, if I get it, it could suck for me, you know. Um, it, it could just suck for a lot of people. And it's like, if you, if you, if you read some, maybe they're. Bear with us here. Since we are having to do all the interviews by phone these days, they do get broken up sometimes. The signal gets choppy there. But he was basically saying that in places where there are a lot of outbreaks, you see the real horror of it. But where we are in Asheville, we are blissfully ignorant. Oh, sorry. Yeah, this that people haven't seen it yet. And when if you get people have gotten sick and and then they die alone with it, it's not a not a good way to die. Because people can't they can't touch anybody. So it's a scary. The whole thing is just scary. I'm just personally not comfortable. I just think other people probably are not comfortable. It would be nice if everybody had a voice. We could actually say something and just say maybe, hey, no, we don't feel comfortable. I don't know how we can make that work. Pete's concerns are really valid. They point to something most restaurant workers struggle with. Since hardly any restaurants provide health care, the prospect of coming down with this virus could potentially cost someone like Pete not just his livelihood, his house, his car, a bankruptcy, but it could cost him his life. And for what? You guys are saying for those of us who don't feel okay to go out to stay home, but you expect the service industry people to go out like they're not people. I mean, they're scared to death to go back to work, but they're doing it because you want them to serve you. You know? I mean, that seems like such a very um, trivious, (laughs) trivial kind of approach to the situation. Like, they're just so sick of being at home. They want us to have to risk our lives to go out and take care of them. And I do it. It's what I do. Yeah. Sarah has served all over Asheville. And lately, she's been working for one of the bigger breweries in town. And she says she loves it, says it's the best job she's ever had. The money is great, the community is warm, and she says that when the shutdown hit, that the brewery really had their backs, provided free meals for everyone on staff, offered them shifts to deliver beer to make a little money on top of unemployment. And so despite being immune-compromised, when the announcement came that things would be reopening, she says she actually asked to go back that she felt a loyalty and that she wanted to be there, that she wanted to work. And that's when the protests started. I was just standing at one of my tables. I had a six top and they were all by themselves on, you know, what we call the garden area. And it's very close to the road. And I was like talking to them and taking orders. And all of a sudden, like probably seven or eight cars just come by honking their horns like loud as they can. And all of them have some sign that says, you know, your business is killing us. You're not take making sure that people are taking precautions and i mean i just wanted to burst into tears <laughs> and my customers were okay with it but it was just so awkward because i've been taking a lot of shit for even going back and now i'm back and now i'm going to take a lot of shit for being back and um it's not like i have a choice i mean is great if i'd said i needed some more time they probably would have given it to me but as many implements that it put into place to keep us safe i figured i might as well go support them because they've been so supportive of me Look on any community forum, and you can tell it is a tinderbox out there right now. Arguments and accusations that sound like dry leaves crunching underfoot, just waiting for that one bolt of lightning to spark everything. And for good reason. People are scared for their livelihoods. 
they don't know where their next month's rent is coming from or how they can make a mortgage payment. Because so many people are struggling to get their unemployment from a system that they've been paying into for their whole careers. And at the same time, people are scared for their health or for the health of their loved ones. If you are fortunate enough that you had a job and it got it got um, canceled due to COVID-19 and you were able to get unemployment, and then all of a sudden you're getting, you're also getting unemployment, which is more than you've ever been paid in your life. And it's kind of really helpful, you know? And then when you go back to work, you're gonna have reduced hours, but it's gonna cut your unemployment off. So you're, you're like, well, I have to go back, but now I'm only gonna make, cause they can't hire us full time cause we don't have full time hours. So that, that little money dilemma is also a, a thing, but it's like, it's not the main thing, but it's also a thing, you know, like you should, I don't know. It's hard for, it's a, it's a tough industry already. We already don't have healthcare. And I, I'm not even putting that on business owners necessarily. I think we need universal healthcare. You know, it's like I said, my, the owners at my business are being super cautious and cool. They gave me a little extra time, even because I, I expressed my concerns. So I'm super lucky in that way, and I'm I'm grateful that they did that because I don't I I don't think some businesses are doing that. I think they're basically telling people right off the bat they're like, listen, you got to come back to work or you don't have a job, and then we'll cut off your unemployment. So you know, basically you you have to go back to work when they say, <laughs> not not when you feel comfortable, which is which is what I which is what my major dilemma is because I personally don't feel comfortable. Pete's right. No one has a lot of autonomy here. The real catch-22 is that if Pete refuses to go back to work because he has immune deficiencies, he will lose his unemployment because you cannot keep your unemployment benefits if you turn down your previous job. But on top of that, if Pete goes to work and does get sick, it could kill or bankrupt him. Not long ago, my mother fell, knocked her head against a parking curb, and sustained some pretty serious damage. She developed an infection in her brain at the hospital and has been in and out of the hospital ever since. In fact, she's in there right now. And I know that when she gets out, it's up to my father and I to look after her. And I also know full well that this virus would kill her, seeing as she is already on a breathing tube. But I work at a catering company part-time. It's really the gig that keeps the lights on for me. And I have to ask myself constantly, if I get the call to go back to work, Do I go, or do I say no and lose unemployment? Because in that case, I'd lose my house, my studio, everything. In a sense, I really don't have a choice. But we know just how infectious this disease is. We've seen it so many times and been warned about how easily this virus passes between people without ever showing symptoms until it hits someone like my mom. But the all-too-devastating reality is the fact that my mom could die because I didn't have a choice and had to go back to work before it was safe. Some will say, we'll just get another job, but that's the thing in Asheville. There aren't a lot of industries available here. 30% of our labor force works in the service industry. The rest work at hospitals or in education. Kim is going through the same dilemma right now. She lost her job in January before the pandemic had even really taken its roots in America. Um, I was looking at a lot of different things. Um, I was looking more um, at like uh, administrative work. Um, I don't have a ton of restaurant experience. Um, 
but I, yeah, I was looking at working in like maybe an office for a hospital or a hotel. I, I interviewed at a couple of hotels. Um, but yeah, I'm seeing hotels are hiring now, but I am not taking uh, the bait. <laughs> yeah. I asked her why she's scared of going back to work. Well, I mean, the way I see it, and I've been trying to stay informed as best that I can, is that, um, you know, the only reason that we really had to go into this kind of lockdown is because we didn't have the proper equipment. Yeah, and we didn't act fast enough. (laughs) You know, people weren't tested. Um, And so we had to go into this lockdown. We didn't have a choice. I mean... The only way you can keep things open is if you are testing everyone like once a week to make sure that they don't have it. Um, and I've seen none of that being trying, you know, I'm not seeing any of that implemented. Um, what I'm seeing is that, okay, well, we've been in lockdown, but now the people who own all these businesses are um, getting antsy that they're not getting in the same kind of profit because they don't have the workforce. And it just seems like they're trying to convince us all to go back to work, you know, that it would be so patriotic and so um, selfless to go back to work for the greater good, but who's actually benefiting from that work? You know, like uh, the way that I see it, it's the people who are getting to work from home right now, who maybe own companies or work in the office, Um, not the people who have to serve people, contact people, um, be receptionists with people. Um, Yeah. I hear that last bit a lot. The part about restaurant owners only caring about the profits, that this whole reopening thing is based on greed. And while that is true, there are a lot of businesses out there that only think about the bottom line. I feel like we need to break this whole greedy business owner trope down a little bit. Because on the other end of the spectrum in this tinderbox are people that are looking at their back rent continuing to pile up, the interest continuing to accrue on their debts, and realizing that they could lose their homes, their businesses, everything. Decades of hard work and discipline lost in a couple of months. Loyal and hardworking employees losing their jobs permanently. Is that does livelihood equal greed? I mean, you know, it. I'm sure in some cases, I'm sure yes, there are there are greedy people out there. So I'm sure that some people are just thinking about the dollar and not thinking about their people. But um, I don't know. My perspective is a little bit about livelihood and about trying to continue my trade and trying to save my trade, essentially. Um, That's Josiah Magahi. A few years ago, he and his wife Shannon opened a food truck stationed in the back of Burial Brewing. Just the two of them in a tiny box, dishing out some pretty incredible food. Over time, they squirreled away the money they earned and turned it into a tiny brick-and-mortar restaurant named after his grandmother, Vivian. They paid for it all themselves with loans and savings, and they run on a tiny skeleton crew. Since the shutdown, it's just been the two of them hosting pop-up and to-go food stands, But as things drag on, they need to expand those operations to a more steady, daily takeout operation. But if they don't do something to make things sustainable right now, they could lose everything. One thing that I've been um, thinking about since the beginning of this is, and what was the biggest challenge and the biggest fear when we had to lay off our employees and send everybody home and go home ourselves was, 
that Shannon and I and my Shannon and I have worked extremely hard to craft a life for ourselves, right? Um, one that it was based off of a trade that we've been working in for over 20 years and um, knew that we could do it together, knew that we could do it and went for it. And two and a half years later, you get shut down by, you know, no choice on yours. Everybody's in the same boat, but the biggest, I think the biggest, one of the biggest stresses or one of the biggest anxieties for me was I felt like that was kind of getting uh, taken away that already a complicated life that I chose to craft for myself is becoming more complicated and potentially not going to be there when I get, when I wake back up again, or when we get back, you know, to it. Um, and I think that's what really motivated Shannon and I to just keep kind of keep pushing forward because not only we don't really have a choice. I mean, not only, I mean, when you're talking to, when you're talking about Shannon and I's personal business, it is, it, it is exactly that. It is just us. It is, we do not have outside investors. We do not have, um, anything other than what we can produce with ourselves. Um, so that's one of the reasons why we kept kind of going on it, but even moving through that you're you're still extremely scared about what, um, what the outcome is going to be. Um, because we've always create, we've always wanted to create a house that that's is extremely supportive of its of its team, understanding that the team is the only reason why you're able to keep open. Um, and when we had to shut down and had to bring back people, you know, I think one thing I said to them is I was like, we we, we have to shut this down. And we're going to have to keep ourselves safe so that when we can reopen, we actually have a business and actually have a house for you guys to come back to. Um, we got we got very lucky with our staff that everybody was seemingly, um, that everybody really wanted to be here. Um, and that, that makes a big difference in my opinion. Uh, I think that having people who want to be here for your business is, is a huge, is a huge asset in my opinion. And keeping that, keeping that as a, as a mantra is, is, is pretty important. So, and how to keep doing that right now is, is difficult because people are scared, you know, and I get it. I'm scared. I get it. Don't you feel the kindling crunching under your feet as we walk through this tinderbox? Everyone is scared and about a great many things in varying degrees. And what did Master Yoda say about fear? That fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to the dark side? I think it's really easy in times of deep, deep hardship to turn on your neighbors. And it's understandable why. When an employee is scared to go back to work, and a boss is scared that he's going to lose everything he's worked his ass off for for the last decade, and then there's that squalling faction demanding that we reopen everything, that we are all just overreacting to 100,000 people dying in this country in just a couple months. It's complete cacophony. But let's take a step back. There's a lot more to this than just the greed of a business owner or the self-preservation of someone scared they will get sick or pass that sickness on to someone they love. Let's face it, we've all heard someone say, well, they should just shelter the immune compromised and let everyone else go back to work, which would be great, except there are a ton of people like Pete, like Sarah, hell, like me, who are immune compromised or who have to care for someone who is. And because the laws are set up the way they are, no one has a choice. We can't actually shelter the immune compromised. No one put those systems in place. The PPP, the stimulus checks, the unemployment boost, while those were a helpful start, 
they still don't change the fact that if a server gets coronavirus waiting tables and is hospitalized, they will likely go bankrupt because they can't get health insurance. It's just very like, um, it's just sort of like, yeah, like exposing all these, um, yeah, the skeleton of what's underneath their system, how it actually works and who it actually benefits. Kim has a point. If anything, this pandemic really brought into stark and glaring focus the deep, deep cracks in our foundation. Call me crazy, but I like to think that no one should have to choose between losing their job or risking their life. No one should have to choose between losing their job and risking bankruptcy for medical debt. And no one should have to choose between losing their business or putting their employees in jeopardy. If the deaths of 100,000 Americans have taught us anything, it should be that our healthcare system is shambolic. And that merely repealing the broken framework isn't going to do a damn thing for anyone. That our unemployment system is grossly and severely under-equipped. And when it comes to supporting the small business up-and-comer chasing that American dream, it's all just lip service. These are all things that can change, and they needed to change yesterday but it's time for them to change now. The Dirty Spoon is a production of Dirty Spoon Media. I'm Jonathan Ammons, and I'm the editor-in-chief. I produce the show, and I write and record our interstitial music. Catherine Campbell is our editor-at-large, sources our stories, and handles our website and marketing. New episodes of the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour will air the first Friday of every month at 5 p.m. on 103.7 WPVMLP. Head to our webpage to stream back episodes of the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour, check out our original artwork from contributing artists, and to support us on our Patreon at dirty-spoon.com. Or subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts by searching for the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour. There you can also catch up on our series Home Fried, which updates every Tuesday and Thursday, and occasionally on Saturdays, to keep you informed and entertained during the coronavirus lockdown. Always bringing you stories from the people that shape what we consume on The Dirty Spoon. Stay safe.